and welcome to NCBI Labs. So it's good to be back with you again this week. We have uh, most of our regular panelists with us this week, JP Corcoran, Daniel Dunn and myself, Jude Marr, for live event number 32. So what have we got lined up for you today? Well, when it comes to accessibility software, screen readers certainly play a prominent role in making a computer accessible for someone with very low vision. And there are some excellent options out there for anyone who thinks uh, a screen reader might be the way to go. One of those excellent options is NVDA. And today we'll be talking to Quentin Christensen from NV Access. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about the development of NVDA, what's in its latest version, as well as a little bit of what's uh, planned for the future of NVDA as well. That'll be coming up in about 10 minutes time. Later on, we have another Seeing It Your Way piece. Now, last week, you might remember we spoke to Laura Dempsey, who talked about how she's taken up writing and recording her own music over the last year or so. Well, this week we're going to be talking to Gordon McFarlane, whose interest in the airwaves actually took him in a slightly different direction. He started up his own radio station 10 years ago this month. Well, that's uh, going to be an interesting piece and in seeing it your way coming up a little bit later on. And of course, as usual, we're going to have our quick tips section. We're going to have our tech help section as well, uh, where we can answer some of your questions too. So if you do have any other questions throughout our show, as usual, you can email us on labs at ncbi.ie or you can use the question and answer panel on the right hand side of the screen if you're connecting through Microsoft Teams. First up, though, we have our meet the team section and in our continuing mission to introduce you to all of our labs team. Joining us this week is Colette Quinlivan, who you will have heard from before on our live events. Colette prepared some of the content for one of our live events last year. You're very welcome, Colette. Hi, you dude. Thanks very much. It's good, good to be to here. With us. Yeah, great to have you with us. So Colette, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you the same questions that we fire to, to each of our team because it's, uh, it's just interesting to, to hear a little bit about uh, each, each person's background. Can you give us a little bit about your background? Tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, I suppose I'm originally from County Clare. Um, I, I studied social science in, in UCD, so my background is, is in kind of the social, um, social work area. Um, and in, in 1990, I moved to England, as was after, after college, um, where I worked um, in residential work with, with children in care and later with adults um, with mental health issues and who are experiencing homelessness. Um, so I suppose that was my my start and kind of uh, my my career. Um, I after a number of years there, I knew I always wanted to come home, come back to Ireland. So like all good Irish people back then in the, the 90s that were abroad, I went traveling further um, and I, I was traveling for a year or so in, in America. Um, I went to Canada and Australia and then eventually I, I, I came back and, and uh, came home to settle. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So so when did you join NCBI then and, and where are you based at the moment? So um, it's again, it's it's hard to believe, but it's 24 years since I started with with NCBI wow. in Cork in yeah. 1997. Um, currently, I'm based in the Midwest, um, and our regional office is is in Limerick. 
Um, as I say, I, sta I, I, I started with Cork, or working with NCBI in Cork as, as a community resource worker. Um, and then I moved to Sligo. I was in Sligo for two years, um, again, working as a community resource worker. Um, yeah. and, and then a position came up in the Midwest, which was nearer home. Um, yeah. So I, mo I moved to Limerick in, in 2000. And I suppose that's when the IT aspect of my role began. Um, yeah. when, I, when I moved to, to Limerick, um, there was a, I suppose the job was, was a part-time community resource worker, job and a part-time um, IT trainer role, or at least I suppose it was a, it was a mix of the two really, yeah, so yeah. A, re a rehabilitation role. So yeah. how did you find kind of balancing those two things out? Was that kind of a bit of a, a challenge or did they, did they naturally kind of um, fit in together as well? Well, I suppose I'd answer yes to both of them, <laughs> to both yeah. those questions. Like, it was a challenge, um, I suppose, in terms of IT. That was pretty new to me at that at that time, but I suppose it fitted well in that um, as a community resource worker, you'd be, you know, I used, I was doing assessments with people um, and different issues were coming up, which kind of required, you know, I suppose them back then, you know, I suppose technology was kind of it's been developing all along. Um, I suppose yeah. now it's probably become more main, mainstream, but at the time maybe um, the you know I suppose technology in relation to vision impairment was probably more kind of specialised in a way. Yeah. So I suppose that was a learning curve for me, um, but yeah. I so but but by being able to kind of you know gain more knowledge around use of CCTV, you know CCTVs, yeah. video de desktop magnifiers around um, any you know kind of standalone scanners that yeah. were available at the time, and um, and then I suppose the assistive software um, that was all helping to kind of develop the service that we were providing to, to um, people as community resource workers. Yeah, yeah. So there, there is a kind of natural fit in there that, that yeah. works. I suppose one kind of informs the other as well to, to a big degree. Is that yeah. the sort of work you're doing at the moment? Is it still that kind of balance between both? Um, I, I, well, I, I suppose as, uh, as time has gone on to, I've, I've trained in orientation and mobility. So I'm currently, I, I have, I continue to have a rehabilitation role. And yeah. there is uh, IT involved in that, um, and also um, orientation and mobility um, gotcha. assessments yeah. and training in both. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And have you found over the last year that there's been kind of quite a lot of changes to your work? Is there anything specific that you're you're working on at the moment, for example? Um, well, I suppose kind of in terms of, of the last year, um, Obviously, like like um, a lot of people, I'm I'm working from home a um, mm. lot more, and there's pluses and minuses to that. Um, I suppose there's reduced travelling, so I've kind of an extra hour in the day. Um, yeah. But I suppose you know there's a lot more kind of remote assessments and remote training, um, and in, and I suppose personally, I'd miss the face-to-face -face contact both with you know, the people kind of who are looking for our service and also with colleagues. Um, yeah. It's not the same talking to people on a screen. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I I suppose there, um, 
just in, I suppose in terms of what I'm working on at the moment, um, I'm currently working as part of NCBI's um, with a new employment support team and um, we're working to develop the service provided by NCBI to people in employment or who are, jo who are job seeking. So, for example, um, you know, you might have somebody in employment who's having difficulties and that could be uh, like um, a query around technology. So they might need an assessment to decide what equipment is needed um, or support around installing some piece of equipment or maybe training in uh, use of a particular piece of assistive software. Mm -hmm. um, are also, you know, it might be that somebody has a recent deterioration in vision and they kind of want support around how to discuss that with an employer. So I suppose part of my, my role as would be kind of, um, you know, I suppose doing an assessment with somebody and providing kind of support around that about, you know, how to talk about your needs due to vision loss and stuff. And I, I suppose it's um, remembering that that you know, in, if you're in employment, you know, it's with the relevant skills and the use of technology, people who are vision impaired can compete on a level playing field with those yeah. that don't have vision loss. Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose the other, sorry, the other thing would be kind of as part of that role is um, I would also be working with people in employment who, um, sorry, like I'd be working to kind of support, I suppose, develop supports or information around supports for employers as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting actually just chatting to like different members of the team throughout the this series that it is quite diverse, the different things that people are involved in. Everybody's kind of obviously got the the technology technology part of the work as well, the technology training as part of the, the work, but all these different kind of diverse areas that, that people are involved in as well. It's it's quite interesting to, to catch up on as well. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, technology does, as I was saying before, it kind of goes through all our lives now. And just, I suppose, even with COVID-19, like I think everybody has had to develop skills around connecting virtually. And, you know, you know, I suppose maybe I'd be hopeful that that's kind of raised awareness of, of the general population of what can be done with technology and, and then for people with vision impairments, what, you know, that, that I suppose that the whole thing around remote working and the use of technology, that that opens up opportunities for people with vision impairments. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the other part, actually, a third part of, of the, the, the the role of the employment support team is we're also developing services for people who are seeking an employment. Um, yes, yeah. And, uh, you know, as part of that, we ran an online uh, webinar over three days in November with information from different organisations and um, around kind of supports and, you know, people's personal experience and, and, and that. And I suppose, you know, in conjunction with the tra National Training Centre, we'll be developing kind of further services and events around that for, for people who are seeking employment. Brilliant. Well, you'll have to keep us up to date with some of those events as, as they come up, because I think that's such a, a good um, opportunity for people to, to hear about the the different avenues that are open to them if they're, if they're either looking for employment or they're looking for some support in, in employment. It's a, a really valuable service.
Yeah, we'll appreciate start. you coming on to talk yeah. to us today, Colette. I certainly, I suppose, and if anybody wants to make contact with the employment um, support team, um, you can email employment support at NCBI or contact the, the, the NCBI helpline and ask to be put in contact with us. Ah, brilliant. Very good. Well, thanks for joining thanks. us today, Colette, and all the best for the projects you're involved in as well. All right. Thanks a million, Jude. Very good. So that was Colette Quinn living on our Meet the Team segment this week, and uh, we're, we've nearly got through all of the labs team at this point. So only a few a few left next week. It's going to be the turn of Brian Manning to face the music. So we'll look forward to that next week as well. Now, moving on, we mentioned earlier that we'd be talking about NVDA today, a really good free screen reader that continues to, to grow in popularity as well. NVDA will soon be releasing their 2020 Point four version. And so we thought it would be uh, maybe a good time for us to talk to Quentin Christensen, the training and support manager at NV, NV Access, just in advance of that release. You're very welcome, Quentin. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I noticed you said good afternoon there, and I mentioned that it was a good time for us to talk about M NVDA, but the timing is maybe not quite so convenient for you. It's the middle of the night over there, isn't it? It is the middle of the night over here, so I've been thinking, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. <laughs> so I remembered. <laughs> you managed it. Where are you speaking from, Quentin? I did. I'm talking to you from uh, Gippsland, which is in Victoria, which is southeast Australia. Oh, wow. OK, so quite a quite a time difference there. I really appreciate you uh, coming on to, to talk to us about NVDA. I think a lot of people will be very interested in this part as well about about NVDA. First of all, Quentin, I wonder, could you tell us just a little bit about where the, the idea for NVDA came from? What was the, the inspiration behind it? Yep, sure. So um, Michael Curran, uh, the founder of NV Access, uh, was studying uh, computer science at university and wanted to explore what he could do uh, whether it was even possible to create a, uh, a screen, you know, for one person to create a screen reader. Mm. Uh, and he was particularly also interested in in trying to do something in that field because the cost of conventional screen readers uh, is quite prohibitive for uh, many people around the world. Uh, yeah. And so he and a good friend of his, Jamie Tay, uh, joined forces and initially created NVDA initially back in 2006 and released the first uh, the first main public version in 2007. So wow. been going for uh, yeah, quite a while now. Yeah, yeah, well established at this point. Yeah, very good. And um, just we talked about we mentioned their NVDA and we mentioned NV Access. Can you just tell us a bit more to just the distinction? NV Access is the creators of NVDA. Then is it? That's right. So NV Access is a not-for-profit organisation that was set up around supporting uh, NVDA. Uh, it's run by a board of directors. So um, I know sometimes we get asked things like, oh, you know, a couple of other um, screen readers have, you know, disappeared over the years, been bought out and so on. Uh, could that happen to, to us? And the answer is no, it couldn't because um, regardless of the money that you might offer, you know, Mick and myself and the others, um, it's run by a board who, who couldn't let that that happen. So um, the 
organization itself, uh, as well as developing the, the software. Uh, we do things like uh, develop training material and liaising with, with other organizations, uh, even doing things like, like this this afternoon. Um, so there's a whole ecosystem behind yeah. it. And actually, one of the largest parts of the ecosystem is not even NV Access itself. It's our um, user and developer base. So part of, or a, a lot of the, the software itself is developed in-house by our own developers. Um, but a lot of it is contributed by the community. NVDA is open source, so anybody can contribute code to the project. Uh, and yeah. we do have quite an active community who uh, who assist with that. I think that's that's quite interesting as well, just as the kind of development continues. It's always quite a useful thing to have as many end users as possible given that feedback. So that's brilliant to have that involvement kind of pretty much built in there as well. Um, a lot of our listeners would be very familiar with um, what a what a screen reader is, but just for maybe if if anybody's unfamiliar, can you just give us just a very basic idea of of what NVDA does? Yep, absolutely. So, um, so for those who are familiar with the screen reader, whether it's NVDA, JAWS, VoiceOver, Talkback, um, System Access, Dolphin. Um, I can think of. Um, but basically what it does is it reads out the information on the computer to uh, primarily aimed at a blind user. So uh, it reads out what a sighted user would visually look at the screen to, to take in, whether that's reading emails, documents, web pages, um, spreadsheets, mm. um, games even. Yeah. So it's kind of like a translator in a way, translating the visual elements into to audio. Um, th Indeed, yeah, that's, uh, and Braille. Yeah, very good. Okay, so that, that's an, an important addition as well. So why would somebody choose to use NVDA then? Um, well, we would say that uh, you might choose to use NVDA because it is uh, just as competitive and, and feature rich as, as any other offering. Uh, a lot of people, uh, of course, one of the primary reasons that, that people will go, well, I'll definitely check that one out first, is that it's free. Um, as I mentioned before, the, the cost, traditional cost of, of screen readers is quite prohibitive. So having one which is available for free is, uh, is yeah, definitely an attractive, yeah. Uh, attractive point. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a huge thing. When you mentioned about being kind of feature rich and having a lot of the same features, maybe people when they're thinking about a, a piece of software might be work, might be kind of imagining using it in a particular environment. So let's say we're talking about having a screen reader at home, getting getting by with emails and, and kind of the basic functions at home. W would you say, is it something that is also effective in a, a work environment, for example? Yes, absolutely. We have quite a few uh, users in corporate environments and quite a few organizations that uh, that we work with that have approached us that uh, that have deployed NVDA for their staff or educational uh, institutions who've, who've rolled it out so it's available for any of their students who might need it. Uh, obviously, one of the, the big advantages there being free and open source is there's no issues with licenses and things like that. So um, 
even somewhere like a, a university can put it on all of their computers and anyone can go up to any of their computers and use it and you don't need to worry about, oh, there's already X number of other people using it and so on. Um, mm. One of the big questions around corporate use that we, that we get uh, is that whole issue of open source. Mm. Um, there, there used to be quite a reluctance uh, and actually I noticed when I was, I was browsing the web before, uh, there used to be quite a reluctance around open source and oh, but that means anyone can edit it. Well, actually, no, anyone can't edit it. I did say before anyone can contribute code, uh, yeah. but it is still up to our lead developers to assess all of that code and, and decide what they incorporate into NVDA. So the program that you download from nvaccess.org yeah. is, is, is the code's been no it's less looked over by, yeah. by our developers and is secure than a closed source commercial program that you might download from elsewhere. Um, and yeah. a lot of governments now are, uh, have made a, a priority of using open source software. So um, yes, yeah, so I, we have a corporate and government page on our website that answers a lot of the questions that companies ask us, whether it's things like our privacy policy, what information is collected um, and so on. Um, a couple of the links I've put there are to, to policies from governments like um, the US government and the UK government. Um, and I, I looked up for somebody recently, even places like the South African government uh, have open source policies just because it improves their transparency. Uh, it obviously helps with cost. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I was going to say before, I, I looked up when I was preparing for today that uh, the Irish government uh, was one who was initially quite hesitant about using open source, but they have come around uh, and are quite uh, quite keen on on open data and and open source uh, now, yeah, which yeah. is great. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting to get that perspective as well. Just coming back to what you mentioned a moment ago about kind of being quite feature rich, maybe just to give a little bit of a, a an explanation of that. Um, We've obviously mentioned just what the basic idea of a screen reader is. So what would be some of these, what would be some of the features that kind of make it a more feature rich version of a screen reader, if you like? Sure. Um, so things like you can, uh, you can, you can choose the voice that you use. I know that that's a big one for a lot of people is having yeah. a particular voice that they like to take, whether it's from one program to another or, or even across platforms um, yeah. so you can you can do things like that uh, it works in quite a lot of languages um, so one of the things that we that we are really keen on um, in making NVDA free is that it's available particularly all around the world and and that's really embraced in say countries where um, being able to afford a, a commercial screen reader just, just wouldn't even be feasible. Uh, so in a lot of affluent countries, having a free screen reader, 
for a lot of people is you know a bonus yeah. but if they really had to they could scrape together the money yeah but in in countries uh, you know in africa and a lot of countries in asia in the yeah, yeah. micronations in the pacific uh, it's just not an option and so the other thing with that is having it available in all those languages for people so uh we do uh work with a lot of people around the world to facilitate that yeah. Um, yeah, and good. actually one of the things we're, we're starting to do more of now is have our training material made available yeah. in more languages too Brilliant. Yeah, very good. So that, that's very useful as well. We mentioned before that NVDA, obviously, one of the, the big features about it is that it's a, a free screen reader. Now, we've had guests on before talking about different free applications. There have been a few different models mentioned in terms of how they've managed to actually bring in some revenue from something that's free to the end user. How does it work for NVDA? Um, so what we do um, is we have contracts with a number of larger IT organizations. So companies like Microsoft, um, Mozilla, Google, Adobe, um, and so on. And we work with them to help make their offerings more accessible um, yeah. because we've you know, got that expertise. And in turn, that brings in revenue to us. So it's a win-win for everybody because it, it means we can make NVDA available for free. And it also improves the offerings, you know, in things like Windows or Firefox or Chrome for everybody. Yeah, brilliant. Now, we, we have a few questions from some of the um, service users and others, the listeners in, in advance of, of this interview. But just before we get on to, to those, can you can you give us a bit of an idea? We mentioned that we're just coming up to um, the 2020.4 version of MVDA. Can you give us a bit of an idea of maybe some of the the uh, things that are in the current version, some of the things that maybe what what's in the pipeline for the future as well. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And I should probably also mention that uh, that we didn't actually record this three months ago. Uh, we are about to release a version called 2020.4, despite the fact that it's February 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and part of that goes back to um, we are very keen to to provide a product which is useful and stable for people um, and we did start development on this version uh, late last year hence the, the 2020.4 yeah. name um, when that got pushed over to 2021 and subsequently we uh, uncovered a couple of issues that we that we wanted to address mm. before we put it out um, but we just still kept that name uh, really yeah, we would yeah. rather push back that deadline and, and release something that's stable uh, that's going to work for people rather than just shove yeah. something out as quickly as possible to meet some arbitrary deadline um, yeah. so yeah features um, so some of the features for people who might not have uh, used NVDA lately some of the features that we've brought in lately uh, in the last year for instance have been Screen curtain, that's been a big one that people yeah. have asked for. Um, and yeah. vision highlight or focus highlight, uh, a braille viewer, which is really popular with developers testing NVDA uh, because they can mm -hmm. see uh, and see in dots and see in English um, or their chosen language yeah. what a braille user would be reading on a display. 
Uh, we have implemented support for a number of new Braille displays and languages. Um, performance has been something we've really concentrated on in the last year. So um, performance particularly and stability with Microsoft Office. Um, one That's core that. voices, the, the default voice in Windows, um, in terminals, in your command line yeah. terminals, um, and even support for ESET antivirus. Uh, I thought I mentioned because antivirus is always a a tricky yeah, yeah. topic for any screen reader. Um, a yeah. lot of what antivirus companies do is designed to try and hide their activities from malicious software that might be trying to detect them, uh, which yeah. is all well and good, but often has the side benefit or side um, um, effect yeah. uh, that effect. it makes it harder for a screen reader to see what's going on. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, we've improved touchscreen support uh, as well for, for users using a, a touchscreen. Very good. So a few a few different things that have been kind of in development over the last little while or in, in current versions and, and uh, the 2020.4 version is one to look forward to as well, of course. Um, we mentioned there that there was some question from the, the uh, listeners in the lead up to this interview. I think JP has some of those questions there. That's right, yeah. Hi, Quinton. Uh, so Hi, JP. You're welcome. So Quinton, we received a few questions over the last few days, as you had mentioned, from some NVDA users, which you might be able to help us with. Uh, the first came in from Anya, and she's asked, is NVDA ever used outside of the realm of vision impairment, for example, for someone with dyslexia or who has reading difficulties? That's a good question. Uh, it It is. I know it is because I've talked to a couple of people who've, who've uh, approach me with with um, questions and things. Mm. Obviously, our, our core user base is vision impaired and and blind users, but we're definitely um, you know willing to to work with other um, needs that that yeah. might slot in there. So okay. um, I can't think of an example, but I, I remember the last person I talked to about dyslexia had had some thoughts of things that they wanted. That perhaps weren't things we'd thought of before um, and yes yeah, so we're definitely willing to, to work with them um, and probably the other key user group who mm -hmm. aren't vision impaired is is developers sighted um, yes. developers wanting to make their offerings accessible yeah. okay great so it could be an option there great um, mm. another question I received from, from Robert at this time is is there an OCR feature in NVDA which I can use to read text from a PDF file containing a scanned image of text? And the answer is yes, there is. Um, right. So you can you can press NVDA R. So NVDA uses um, its own modifier key, which is either insert or caps lock. Uh, anyone using NVDA will be familiar with that as being the key that you press to get NVDA to read most things. So. NVDA down arrow or NVDA A to read all, for instance. Um, so NVDA R, and then it will recognise the text, and you can uh, you can then use your normal reading or navigation keys to uh, to read that. Um, it's not quite as fully uh, functional as say a full OCR program like Abby Fine Reader. Um, so if it's something that you need to do all the time. It might be worth looking at, at getting a program like Abby. I'm sure there are other options yeah, as well, options. one that came to mind. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, definitely it will read 
we'll read. Um, can be done. Excellent. They'll be, they'll be pleased yep. to hear that. Thanks. There's another one here from Jerry, and he's asked when reading through a document with NVDA, the NVDA voice says bang, where I have inserted an exclamation mark, and left tick, where I have inserted a hyphen. Is there a way for me to adjust the way in which NVDA announces these symbols? Yes, there is. Um, so there's a couple of features that NVDA has that you can uh, you can use to to adjust how it reads things. Uh, there's the symbol uh, punctuation symbol pronunciation um, dialog, which uh, you can use to to change change those those things. So you could change bang to exclaim or exclamation yes. uh, or whatever yeah. you want it to say. Um, there's also speech dictionaries. So if, if what you want is more than a symbol, uh, but you want it to read um, your name, for instance, um, yeah. if it mispronounces your name because you've gotten, you know, if, if yeah. your name's John, hopefully it should get it right. Yeah. Um, but, but if you've got an unusual name, um, then you might want to adjust the dictionary mm -hmm. to okay. to make it read that the way you want. Yeah, great. Okay, that, that's great. No, um, we did receive Quinton a, a few more, few more kind of specific queries from people about using NVDA with programs like iTunes and Outlook. But maybe rather than go to the specifics now, is, is there a way for people to contact you about these and other kind of specific queries or any other issues that may come across with NVDA? Absolutely. Um, so the easiest way to contact me is to email info at nvaccess.org. Um, we also, uh, probably the, the other way to keep in touch with what we're up to is uh, on the NV Access website. Uh, there is, um, in the news section, uh, we regularly, about once a fortnight, um, we post a, a blog uh, with what we're up to, what's coming up in the next version, tips and tricks for for uh, using different features of the program. Um, so that's always a, a helpful way of knowing what's going on and when that next version's coming out and all of that. Brilliant, very good. So maybe, um, maybe Quentin, would you mind just repeating that email address? Absolutely. So it's info, I-N-F-O, at N vaccess.org. Brilliant. Very good. So anybody who has any any further queries as well can uh, get in touch with Quentin there. Very good. Was that all of the questions, JP? That's small. Thanks very much, Quentin. Thank you. Very good. And, and thank welcome. you as well very much, Quentin. Certainly it's a, a really great piece of software and we really appreciate you staying up so late to talk to us as well. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Of course, if any of our listeners have any questions or, or want to get some training on using NVDA, please do contact us uh, even after the show if you if you want to, um, and we'll be we'll be sure to to try and uh, uh, follow up on any questions that you have. If we need to, we can always forward them on through to to Quentin or the the NV Access team as well. But you have that email address there: info at nvaccess. Was it dot org? Dot org. Yes, that's right. Very good. Thanks very much, Quentin. Thank you. 
Very good. So that was a, a great piece there to, to kick off our live event today and uh, really, really good uh, piece of software and such a, a, a good um, such a good application considering it's something that's that's free as well. You, you actually wouldn't even really be able to tell with the, the level of um, feature features that are that are in that screen reader. So uh, a really, a really good one to, to consider if you look at screen readers. Now this week on Seeing It Your Way, we've been talking to Gordon McFarlane, who 10 years ago this month embarked on a bit of a change in direction in his life when he decided to start his own radio station, believe it or not. So Gordon has been talking to us about the technology he's been using to overcome some of the challenges he faced along the way. So let's listen in now to Gordon McFarlane on this week's Seeing It Your Way. I'm delighted to introduce Gordon McFarlane. You're very welcome to the show, Gordon. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. So, Gordon, tell us a little bit just about your background, maybe where where you grew up, what your history of sight loss is. Right. Okay. Well, born in Glasgow. I haven't got the accent now. I deliberately <laughs> tried to get rid of it when I wanted to be a DJ. Um, then uh, I had lots of eyesight problems, cataracts when I was born. Um, then, when I was in my teens, it became glaucoma. And I had a lot of operations then. Basically, I had a bit of a religious experience when I was 16 because they lost my eyesight fully and said that I wouldn't have it back. And then after, oh, after 10 days, it started to return. And uh, within a number of operations, after a number of operations, um, by about uh, seven months later, I was told I could drive a bus. So I was quite impressed with that. And at that point, they said, well, you have to go to the blind school in Edinburgh because if your eyesight does get worse again, at least, you know, you'll learn Braille, etc. So I was put over there to the other side of the country where I had to stay there residentially, obviously. And um, so it was a new start for me. And um, yeah. and there I got my well, grades and hires, etc. Left school when I was 20. And... Um, you know, I still had very good eyesight, so that was brilliant. Yeah, Met my wife there, um, and then after that, I went to university and did teacher training and became a teacher. Now that was all in the east side of Scotland, and I got a job for thirty-three years in an Aberdeen um, secondary school teaching RE. So my my life has been sort of governed by that original experience. But I mean, all the time I've been doing a lot of technology, and when I went blind. And when I was 48 and got a guide dog, then at that point I knew I was going to have to continue working because obviously I had a good number of years left. And uh, that worried me because a class of 20 or 30 teenagers um, could be a bit scary. But really yeah. what I did was I adapted everything, uh, computers, JAWS, uh, project. I had the first projector in the school, I think, for showing videos and uh, doing artworks. Uh, yeah. what do you call worksheets etc so all that kind of thing went on and uh, I took advantage of that of course and showed videos and great big speakers and got like, a lot of nice uh, music going and the kids quite liked that so actually these were the best days of my life after I went yeah, yeah. because the yeah. kids uh, they were good I mean they didn't take advantage terribly much in fact not really we had a camera if you're interested in the technology side we had a camera in the corner of the class <clears throat> going to a going to a, a monitor in another part of the school and um, we, we used it it was there for 
the kids' protection and my protection, I suppose, just to make sure everything was okay. And yeah. um, over the next 13 years in the school, the guide dog under the desk, it was used only 15 times to check pretty minor incidents. So normally you could have 15 incidents a day. So I was very fortunate. The kids were great. I got on with the kids quite well. And um, so yeah. that side of it, becoming blind wasn't the terror I thought it would be. Yeah. I was yeah. one of these people that didn't want to lose status. I didn't want to be seen as blind. So it took me a long time. In fact, I was walking around the school looking at the lights, trying to see where I was going so that I could orientate myself before I told anybody I couldn't see properly. Yes, and, uh, yeah. You know, I think we cover up an awful lot when we're blind, if we're in a responsible situation. And the day that I told everybody and told the kids, <laughs> it was amazing. It was like a big weight went right off me. I didn't have to pretend any longer. Yeah. So, yeah, going blind, it was a big, big thing for me, but it actually was a good thing because it made me be myself rather than try to be something else. Yeah, that's really interesting. T tell us just what is the condition of your eyes at the moment of your vision? Totally blind. Totally, totally blind. blind. I went okay. totally blind in 1998. So I did another 12, 13 years in the school there with the guide dog. And as I say, being totally blind didn't cripple me in any way at all, really, because um, I was teaching RE. I'd done it for years. And um, basically, uh, I didn't need to do some like drama or PE, so there was nothing that was going to be really difficult to do for a blind person. So I just continued as I'd always done, talking, sharing, uh, discussing, discussions, all that kind of thing, and trying to make it as interesting mm. for the kids as possible. Yeah. So what point did, did that finish? What point did you um, come over to Ireland? And, ah, uh, ah, yes. Was, was that the end of, yeah, was that the end of kind of your your when when your teaching career finished not, was that when you moved over to Ireland? No not really no um, I got the chance to retire in, nine, in 2010 I was only 58 then so I wasn't I wasn't re ready to go I suppose but and I would have gone on longer because I loved it I wasn't leaving for any other reason except that I had the opportunity and I thought I'm young enough to do something else yeah. so the day I wrote my resignation form and uh I sat there thinking, what am I going to do? And that yeah. night a friend came in and he, he was just talking gender and he said, uh, I know somebody who runs a radio station down in uh, the uh, south of Aberdeen. And the, the word radio station just hit me and I thought, right, I could maybe do something like that. I've always been interested yeah. in making up programs, communicating. So that very night I got onto the net. I'd seen there was a program called Station Playlist, which is... It's a, a, a pretty well a radio station for blind well, blind people can use it. It's very accessible. So I bought the programs that created the programs and then the ones that uh, the ones that broadcast them. And uh, over the next six months, I, I learnt them and uh, got everything ready. I got the place licensed and all the music licensed and uh, jingles. We created them and. And the 31st of January 2011, we went on air for the first time and wow. we just celebrated our 10th anniversary. And wow. uh, it's, it runs fairly well, I think. We try to make it as professional as possible. It's called Uplift Radio, so it's, it's there to try and lift people's spirits, especially in this time of COVID. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit just about kind of the, the everyday routine that's involved in that or the everyday, even the everyday challenges, if you like, that you would encounter. 
Well, I'm not a good uh, sleeper. Uh, what I tend to find is quite busy here. Uh, my granddaughter stays with us. She's been with us since uh, for the past eight years. So um, moving to Ireland is another thing, but I'll leave that for a moment. Uh, yeah. So we, we, we live in the country in Donegal, miles away from a lot of places, about six miles from Dunlow. And um, basically the day, but lovely in the country, we can walk up the mountain road, take the guide dogs out that way with a very... Uh, aware that we don't have a lot of virus in the area, so we can go out quite easily. The day consists mainly of of preparing programmes to go out. We do a lot of recording of them, doing interviews, um, editing. I do a lot of editing. I'm afraid that yeah. <laughs> something I like doing, but I, I like to make sure it sounds good yeah. without the oohs and the ahs. So they all go out, and I keep the station running in a weekly schedule. And uh, programs are regularly at the right time. Do things for the website. Do things for the app. We have an app as yeah. well. And uh, I do a bit of writing because uh, a book I wrote last year was on Amazon, so that's out. And there's a, a new one on the go at the minute. So a lot of my time spent in creating stuff, really, I suppose. And I enjoy doing that. I'm not really uh, someone who sits around too much, yeah. apart from when I'm doing all that work. I'm sitting with a keyboard in one hand and headphones in the other um but no i mean i don't sleep well so i tend to work through the night so during the day i'm tired <laughs> yeah 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 it sounds yeah. like a, a fairly busy kind of schedule that you yeah, have it is, yeah it's busy yeah. enough yeah mm -hmm. so tell us obviously like you've maybe got used to or adapted mm -hmm. to some of the challenges that specifically come from sight loss but w would there be things that you still find are quite a challenge particularly kind of in in that routine with the with the radio station for example do you find that pretty much everything you need to do is quite easily accessible yes. or do you need to make adjustments to make well, it accessible yes I, I've, I've geared it so that it is accessible we have a studio in the house here and uh, it's got four sort of stations for people to do programs from it's all linked up there's two or three computers there's a server we uh, set up in Edinburgh so therefore if we go down then it goes, it goes on so there's something on 24 hours a day um, the 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 programs are very accessible with JAWS so I can pretty well do everything I need to on that when, I, when we do Facebook or we do uh, um, website stuff or the app stuff yeah it, it all works quite well on, on a computer with JAWS so I'm really fortunate I don't have a lot of difficulty with that the main difficulties probably come from uh, screens that you know yourself probably are inaccessible because they're mainly graphic. But yeah. if you can get the right programs, uh, you can usually manage around things quite well. Yeah, very good. You mentioned JAWS there. Um, would there be many other kind of pieces of technology over the years that you've found mm. particularly useful? Yeah. Um, well, NVIDIA is good as well. I mean, that's good. I would say. NVIDIA works well with the station playlist, probably uh, equally well to JAWS. In fact, sometimes I use it more because it reads a bit more that, that I need. Uh, and the apps, I, I use a lot of the banking apps. It's very handy because coming over to live in Ireland after being in the UK, I need to transfer money a lot. And TransferWise is a very good app as well. So I tend to use these, very accessible. Um, I was quite impressed because I hadn't really used banking apps till I came here. Yeah. But they really are quite good. AIBs is not bad as well. So yeah, there's um a lot of things. Um, we first came to Ireland and went around 
uh, by taxi, funnily enough. I'd always wanted to come to Ireland. I had a friend who had a taxi. So we paid him to take us round Ireland in a week. And uh, his sat-nav was no use, really. It kept breaking down. So yeah. I, used, I used navigating on the iPhone, and we got everywhere perfectly all over yeah, yeah. around Ireland, yeah. and it was perfect. So yeah. things like that, apps like that, seeing AI is very good. Um, oh, that must have brought a bit of a smile to his face that, uh, as you were... As you were guiding him around. Yeah, well, that's right. It was quite funny, really. Uh, I'm turning mine off. I'll just use yours. But it took us (laughs) around the back roads of Donegal and everywhere. So you can imagine uh, it really was quite quite a feat, we thought. And and I was quite impressed that the iPhone could do all that. The only trouble was it was running out of power quite often. So we had a charger, which helped. Yeah. If you kept it on all the way, it was it was running out quite quickly. But things like that, there's lots of there's an uplive radio app uh, that goes on as well. You can get that from a uh, bit of an advert here, sorry, from Apple yeah. Store, Google Play, and uh, the Microsoft Store. Yeah, and that works quite well, and yeah, let do on demand stuff too. Absolutely, and I think it's kind of useful for people to hear about some of those apps as well would you have found any other apps that you you find uh, very easy to use or accessible an awful lot of them i suppose are mainstream apps but it's kind of mm. good just to hear people's experience of how accessible they are as well sometimes the covid virus app's very good as well for ireland um that, that was used a lot at the beginning well i found i found as well iMovie is quite good as because you can actually edit movies on it you know um it's always difficult because you can't see the picture, but if you do it by sound, you can certainly chop and add transitions into it as well. And um, uh, I've got a very good one. I, before I came here, we I thought I'd buy a new printer, so I got a, a color laser with a scanner in it, and it was quite cheap off Amazon. But it has a great uh, app that goes with it, and I can pretty well run it from wherever I am in the house on the iPhone and make it scan or make it uh, um, print stuff. So it's really quite, that's, uh, some of these things can be very handy. You don't have to be in the same room nowadays. You can do things yeah. from a, a different area. The computer I use is just a standard one, uh, but I've got the remote RF keyboard and uh, also a good headset Bluetooth. So I can be anywhere in the house or in the garden and uh, still be able to use the computer wherever I am. So it means I'm not stuck if I need to do something quickly for for the station. So all these kind of things are very handy. The the technology has increased so much these days. It's difficult to keep up with it, but it's very, very useful. And I think for blind people, it's brilliant. It really is. It's really interesting, actually, sometimes just hearing people's experiences, because when we're talking about kind of various technology okay there's some that's quite specialized still using jaws or nvda is specifically for sight loss i guess but we're also talking about an awful lot of off-the-shelf stuff like you you mentioned there just having the iphone mm-hmm. being able to have a, a good pair of maybe bluetooth headphones mm-hmm. they're all kind of uh, mainstream things but with that kind of you can adapt them to to uh, really serve a, an excellent purpose if you, if you do uh, have sight loss. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, the one thing that probably was a, a godsend coming here to Ireland was um, Alexa, <laughs> because yeah. we got here and the radio we brought, uh, Ariel had broken off on the, on the journey, and we got to the house and we had nothing <laughs> to listen to, you know, and and so 
when I got Alexa set up, there was a few of them in the house. It was great because we could get all the British stations. We could uplift radio, which is on it. You just need to say uplift FM on tuning or something like that. But it's uh, it's all there, all the stations you could ever want. And then, of course, with Alexa, you can do so much else. It, it's a godsend for blind people, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, we've been very fortunate with that. I think we live in a very good time for technology. It's been really brilliant for uh, helping blind people out. And, you know, audiobooks, another thing, my wife reads a lot of them. She would have been in Braille for years, but it's difficult to get Braille sometimes. And the audiobooks and the Kindle books are, are absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I think we live in a great time for technology. And certainly I found it very, very beneficial. It's interesting that you say that that about uh, living in a great time for technology because we haven't really explored this with any, anybody particularly but just the idea of over the last year or so people have adapted very very much um, their normal routine has adapted quite a lot do you think that over the last year there's a, there's been any changes that have maybe helped somebody with a vision impairment to uh, interact with the world around them a, a little bit easier is that um, I think a lot of technology allows that, even if it's inadvertently, if it wasn't created for blind people. Often, if we, if you, if you just press on a wee bit and look for things, you, you sometimes find programs or apps which are very helpful that maybe nobody has discovered. If you were to kind of give somebody some advice, if they were just going through this process of maybe they've uh, just recently suffered from sight loss or, or something similar, and they're in that kind of process of adapting. Is there any advice that you would give them? Yes, I think um, they'll have been through other issues in their lives which they've had to face, and most of these they would have faced fairly calmly and stood back and taken it in and seen how they could overcome it. I would say with me blind, it's obviously not easy, and uh, it could be scary. I, I remember being terrified at the thought of it. But I think if you can, if you can try and be calm and face what's coming, uh, and try and find ways around things, try and try and look for ways. I always find if you look hard enough, there's usually a way around something. And you know, it's never quite as bad as you think. You know, and I would suggest that if people are losing their sight. That they, they they just hold on a wee bit and try and avoid being scared and panic. If you yeah. panic, you never do things right. So try and keep a cool head, face things, and take things a step at a time. Don't try and do it all at once. But yeah. work your way into it, the technology, uh, the friendships, the encouragement from other people, uh, all these things, things that lift you up. Try and get that to, to encourage you so that uh, every day you can get more and more confident. Great advice. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today, Gordon, and thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. I've appreciated that. So that was a bit of a case of interviewing the interviewer there with Gordon. You can you can tell he's well used to the, the airwaves. He's uh, great to listen to. So that was Gordon McFarlane um, on Seeing It Your Way this week. Of course, a reminder that our live events are posted to YouTube and to all the major podcast platforms as well. So if you want to listen back to any of the pieces on today's show or any of the content we've co covered in our previous live events, uh, that's where you can you can find them. Now, moving on to this week's tech help. 
Daniel, I believe there's a bit of an issue with Adobe Flash at the moment, and we have a question just asking how to uninstall Adobe Flash. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, um, that's right, Jude. Um, Flash has been on the go since ooh, 1996, and uh, it got, I suppose, integrated into websites soon after it got popular and it took over by Adobe. And it was used to play, I suppose, little video snippets or uh, have some interactive content that you could click on. Uh, web games were particularly popular um, on, on a Flash platform. But I yeah. suppose, like things, they become obsolete in time. And um, Adobe have stopped supporting it as of, and as of the 2nd of January, really, this year. And now if you go on to websites, most websites now will have dropped flash long time ago because this has been well flagged for the last four or five years yeah. so most of your websites you won't even notice the difference on it but if you do come across maybe some websites that are maybe not updated or they're just kind of there um just for information purposes and you might find some flash and it won't work and you'll find now that the content is blocked so that's the kind of as well as force the hand of web developers to yeah. move move on but as i say most of them are done so the, the reason they've stopped it is um like there are security issues with it it was prone to you know prone to little loopholes in it that, that um i think it went so far as apple wouldn't include it under on, on their platforms uh on their devices um so to get rid of it you generally it'll be on your pc uh, our laptop so um, get into your control panel into uh, programs and features or if you're using an older version of windows it's add remove programs and just tab around in there until you get to adobe flash player uh, hit, hit tab one more time and it'll bring it to the uninstall button and just run that little procedure to get rid of it now it's not to be confused with adobe acrobat reader Adobe Acrobat yeah. Reader is uh, very useful and still very current and will be for a long time uh, a PDF reader. So uh, just just not to mix up um, the difference between Adobe Flash Player and Adobe yes. Acrobat Reader. It's very important. So if and there's any kind of yeah. So if there's any kind of prompts to remove an Adobe product, kind of not to be panicking that that's going to stop you being able to read PDFs or something. It's it's most likely the the Flash Player that it's it's talking yeah, about that's exactly yeah. it yeah so um yeah it's, it's a good idea now chances are a lot of people are on to their windows 10 computers now and they didn't um and they didn't have to install adobe flash separately it's kind of a legacy thing i think you might be going back to your earlier reaches of windows 7 and windows prior to that so it might for the vast majority of people listening on um it shouldn't be an issue but um it's no harm maybe just to go into your control panel into check and see is that um, piece of software still there Adobe Flash Player and uninstall it if it is. Very good. Well, thank you very much for, for that, Daniel. That's a, a really useful uh, piece of advice as well. And, and particularly at the moment, it's quite timely just to be able to, to do that, just to make sure the computers stay secure as well. Indeed. So uh, great piece of uh, tech help this week. And we've got some quick tips for you as well, of course. Um, and JP is looking after our quick tips this week. You're going to tell us a bit about how to move the insertion point when you're in a text field on your smartphone. Yes, exactly, Jude, I am. That's right. So for the quick tip this week, we're going to take a look at how we can easily edit text and edit boxes using voiceover. If you're an iPhone and uh, iPad user or if you're using TalkBack on an Android phone, how you can do it that way. 
So for example, we could be writing a text message, a WhatsApp message, or an email, and we may want to go back and fix a typo or mistake that we've just come across. So if we're using VoiceOver, what we can do to move the insertion point back is to swipe down the screen at one finger, or to move the insertion point forward is to swipe up the screen at one finger. And if you want to take this one step further, what we can do is we consider use we can consider using the rotor. I know last week I mentioned the rotor, and it more or less involves using uh, two fingers on, on, the, on, on the iPhone screen as if you're turning an imaginary dial. So we can uh, so what we can do is with using the rotor, we can choose some of the options to, for example, uh, select either move the insertion point by character, by word, or even line by line, line by line. So we're not necessarily restricted to just moving character by character. So that's what we can do to move the insertion point on an iPhone with VoiceOver, but it's a slightly different process when we're using TalkBack on an Android phone. And it actually involves using the phone's volume buttons. Okay. Uh, so on an, on an Android phone, what we can do is to move the insertion point back, what we can do is actually press the volume down button okay. uh, on the phone, yeah. or we can move the insertion point forward by pressing the volume up button. So it's actually the volume buttons that can be used to move the insertion point in this case. So it's as straightforward as that. Um, so two, yeah. yeah, two kind of handy ways to edit the likes of your text messages, your WhatsApp messages, and emails on an iPhone if you're using VoiceOver, or an Android phone if you're using TalkBack. Brilliant. And in each of those situations, we're talking about mm. like you have to be in a text field for for that to work, yeah, don't you? If you're you on do. a screen that has text yeah. and you press the volume up button, it's yeah, you have to be you have to be in the text field exactly yeah. for it to work. Yeah. You do. Yeah. So I, I think that could come in handy with Valentine's Day coming in, you know, where you really have to get your text messages correct now for oh, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you will be going forward and back just to make sure that every word is right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. yeah, very good. So so really handy uh, quick tips for, for this week as well. So uh, thank you very much, JP. And of course, if, if anybody wants to just check out about that uh, using the rotor as well, you can check back into last week's live event and you'll be able to hear a little bit about uh, using the rotor as well. Very good. So we're, we're just about done for today's show. Of course, if you want a, a little bit more of a hand with any of the subjects we spoke about today, you can get support from the labs team from nine to five Monday to Friday on 1850 92 30 60 or you can email labs at ncbi.ie or if you want to avail of wider NCBI services you can call 1850 33 4353 or email info at ncbi.ie and if you'd like to make a donation to support our services you can also visit donate.ncbi.ie and uh, maybe you'd even like to sponsor one of our live events. Well, you can do that as well by contacting labs at ncbi.ie and that can just help to keep our live events going. Now, just before we go, just a reminder of what we'll be talking about in future live events. So um, we, we've spoken before about some of the casting devices that are available, but what about stables of the TV world such as Sky? What accessibility features can you avail of with Sky? Well, we'll be talking to David Nason uh, from Sky next week about some of those accessibility features. And uh, we're also going to be having a little bit of a catch up with Brian. We're going to take advantage of uh, when Brian is on the uh, Meet the Team section next week to get a bit of a catch up on the Braille groups, the virtual tech groups that are going on around the country as well. And of course, in one of our upcoming events, we're also going to be talking more about the blind shell mobile phones as well. So all of those are coming up in, uh, in the, the coming weeks. And uh, a reminder that our next live event is next Tuesday, 
February 16th at the usual time of 2.30. And of course, if you want to stay up to date with what's happening in our live events as well, as uh, plenty more information in there as well, you can subscribe to our newsletter on our website, or you can just email us at labs at ncbi.ie if you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter there as well. So all that's left for me to do is to thank our panel today and of course everyone listening in as well. And we look forward to having you all back with us next week for another NCBI Labs live event.